How are we all doing? I hope you are having a really lovely weekend. I have to say, I just loved yesterday, the sunshine. I just always feel like when it's days like that, it just lifts my mood. And I don't know, it's something about if it's sunshine and I'm outside, the day goes slower, like a really nice pace. So um, whether you got a day like that or felt like it was a day run around like a headless chicken, I hope maybe Sunday brings a little bit of stop and rest into your week. I wonder, do you have an all-time favourite TV series? It's a bit of a controversial question, and I'm guessing if I went round the room, we'd probably get quite an eclectic mix in response. But regardless of what series that you might pick, I wonder if, like me, you have found yourself stuck late at night, admittedly very tired, but you're keen just to watch just one more episode And then just one more becomes just one more. And you find yourself at silly o'clock, ridiculously tired, but you just want to know what happens. I have to confess, I have done that far too often. In fact, one of the reasons that I don't uh, read books a lot during the week, but keep them for holidays, is if a book is really good, I will still be reading at 4 a.m. I'm not good at waiting. Um... And so I find myself, when it comes to TV series and films, I just get sucked into the storyline and I want to know what happens. And courtroom dramas have their own particular flavour, don't they? And again, I wonder, do you have a favourite? Did you watch The Trial of Chicago 7 on Netflix or that oldie Aaron Brockovich or the classic 12 Angry Men or To Kill a Mockingbird? A Time to Kill, or Runaway Jury. The other week, I watched A Few Good Men. I think, Dave, somebody mentioned it, I think, in a sermon, and I went home and, uh, and watched it. And it just, like, that famous scene where that character played by Jack Nicholson just loses his cool thanks to Tom Hanks probing. Or what about prison dramas? Do you remember when Prison Break first came out and it just got released each week and it was like an adrenaline hit? I was exhausted by the end of the episode. What we have before us this morning is not a Hollywood movie, it is not a TV series, but it is real, and it is significant in shaping our church's history. This current series of Acts has brought up some really interesting twists and turns as we've been making our way through, and in these last few weeks, we've been following Paul, his imprisonment, attempted murder, and his transfer to Caesarea. Dave left the story with Paul under guard at Herod's palace. And so we find ourselves back in Acts in the next instalment of Paul's imprisonment. This section of Acts is brutal. I can't help but imagine how would I have handled it? False imprisonment, listening to false promises of justice, then being silenced and ignored, not just for days, but years. And then feeling like I'm being wheeled out for entertainment rather than justice. So let's pick it up. I'm going to pick up the story in Acts 25. We pick up the story with King Agrippa, who was the grandson of Herod the Great, and his wife, or sorry, his sister Bernice, and they're visiting with Festus. And Festus is the governor of Judea. And during the visit, Festus speaks of Paul, who's imprisoned, and his dilemma about that Festus is facing about what to do with Paul. Festus is going to have to write a report, an assessment of this to Caesar, and he's really hoping that Agrippa might be able to give him some insight or some help as he does that. And as they're chatting about it, Agrippa says, I need to hear from Paul myself. And so that's what happens. And so let's pick up the account, Acts 25, and we'll pick it up at verse 21. 
Feel free to follow on the screen behind or just sit back and listen to the story unfold. Uh, Picking it up at verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. Notice first, this is an audience room, not a judgment hall. This was not a court trial. This is an auditorium appropriate for the pomp of this occasion. The king, his sister, the Roman governor, and some of the outstanding leaders of the Jews and the Roman governor were present. The account continues. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I find he has done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I've brought him before all of you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began this defense. I just love that wee moment. Um, Put yourself in Paul's shoes. I think this is quite an intimidating environment. There's pomp, there's ceremony, there you are. And Paul seems to handle it. He motions with his hand. He's grabbing their attention. He's taking this moment. He says, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are acquainted with all Jewish customs and controversies. And it was true. King Agrippa was sensitive to the differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He'd been well aware of the expectations of the Messiah and the differences between the Jews and the Christians. And in fact, he often sided and tried to placate the Jews. Paul continues, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. And then Paul gives a summary of his life. He says, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they're willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is a promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do what was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to the other to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing all around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Arabic, 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among them those who are sanctified in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has been helping me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to the small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead who would bring the message of light to all his people and to the Gentiles. What a testimony. Paul recounts his life, his training and role as a Pharisee, how he was opposed to the new teaching linked to the resurrection of Jesus. Yet cleverly did you see how he linked it to the ways of their ancestors and how he spoke of this. He then tells in profound detail his encounter with Jesus. And now how he's lived in obedience to that call of Jesus on his life, to be a witness to Jesus and rescue uh, Jews and Gentiles. And then he shares his journey since Damascus, then Judea and Jerusalem, holding boldly to the good news of Jesus. And we pick it up again. At this point, Festus interrupts Paul's defence. You are out of your mind, Paul, he said. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I love this response, because this is exactly what Paul is hoping for. He doesn't miss any opportunity to share Jesus. Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And then we stop at the end of chapter 26. Again, the episode is left on a cliffhanger. What will happen to Paul? You're just going to have to wait till next week. As I've said, this section of Acts is brutal. I can't help but imagine how would I have handled it, the false imprisonment, the listening to false promises, being silenced or ignored, not just for days, but for years and then feeling like I'm being wheeled out for entertainment rather than justice. And I, I find it hard to get my head around what is happening because this is a very different time and culture. 
than what I know today or even what we have watched in films and on TV. So when I listen to these accounts of Paul, when I read these accounts, I found it really helpful to take a step back and consider. Like many difficult seasons of life, up close they are just that, messy, difficult, full of emotion, deeply complex personal stories. But when you step back, sometimes you notice patterns, maybe meanings that you didn't see. Often it's hindsight that shows us clarity, but sometimes it's perspective. And so when I listen to these accounts of Paul, when I read these accounts, I found it really helpful to step back and consider and ask questions. Who is this man, Paul? What is he at? And more importantly, what is God at? Because I think we could easily think here that we have a man who seems down on his luck, but actually there is a wider kingdom story being weaved at every stage. The book of Acts is a fascinating um, account outlining the origins of Christianity, the origins of the church. It's a time of much conflict, conflict between the Jews and the Romans, conflict within Christianity itself and what church should be. And so across Acts, we follow the story from the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And maybe often, um, as we reference, we reference Acts with like rose-tinted glasses. And I often hear people talk about wanting to be an Acts church today. But when we do that, we need to realize the complexity of church life during Acts and the difficulty that they faced in navigating beliefs and actions. The character that we're looking at today, Paul, I think Paul's story somewhat mirrors the conflict and the complexity. He's caught between the Jews and the Romans. He's caught within the conflict of Christianity itself. But actually, maybe actually the reason Acts, the church of Acts, gets so much airplay and prominence is because it is somewhat the biography of the Holy Spirit. And across this book, we become aware of the third member of the Trinity in a really special way. For God is at work. And he has positioned his people with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And amid the miracles and the visions, we can see the Holy Spirit directing Paul, building his kingdom. For when we can see the Holy Spirit at work, or maybe when I am aware that the Holy Spirit is at work, I am reminded that God knows what he is doing. He is building his kingdom and he is generously inviting us to. And this is where Paul comes in. This man has had his life utterly changed by the Holy Spirit. His life has been turned upside down. He's now living to a completely different set of values. To say he's sold out for the gospel feels like almost an understatement. We have followed him across this book of Acts, his conversion, the dramatic encounter with God that turned his life upside down. And then we follow Paul as he makes his ways on various journeys, the uh, three missionary journeys in total, and then to Rome. And that's where we join the story. So what does this tell us about this man? I think Paul would fit in well to any current TV drama. At times, you'll find, you find yourself rooting for him. And then there's times you're questioning, what is he at? He's a complex character. As I've said, there's no denying he's sold out for the gospel. 
that encounter with God turned his life around and now he's doing all he can to persuade the Jews of the glorious joy of Jesus and the Gentiles. He's an able orator, not just in the synagogues, but even as he stands before Felix, as we looked at last week, and today's passage before King Agrippa and the guests, he holds his own. And you can see how he built up such a brilliant rapport, even with King Agrippa. This man had charisma alongside intelligence, but Paul definitely rattles feathers. And across the story of Acts, we see he doesn't seem to avoid conflict. His public dissension with Peter, his difficulties with Barnabas, and even today, 2022, Paul continues to be behind many debates across the church as he's cited on various sides of the argument. This is not a sunshine and roses kind of guy. He's a complex character. And I think now in my life, I warm to him even more because of that. He's not invincible and he knows it. He knows discord. He suffered deeply, and amidst all of that, he holds unequivocally to the good news of Jesus. And I find that very challenging. I wonder how you and I would have got on if we had been in Paul's shoes. He often gets labelled with characteristics like stubbornness and tenacity. But when we get to these later chapters in Acts, I can't help but wonder if actually it's just because the biggest story in his life is Jesus and everything else pales into insignificance. For this journey to Rome is not simply some plan to freedom as Paul thinks he'd stand a better chance of getting justice there. This journey to Rome is to give Paul further opportunity to bear witness to Jesus right at the heart of the Roman Empire. Paul wants to take the gospel to the heart of the Roman Empire and prison is his route. (laughs) Did you catch that? Paul wants to take the gospel to the heart of the Roman Empire and so prison is his route. That blows me away. This is not some great idea of his, but rather this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Paul received a vision at the time of his arrest that gave him reason to think that his imprisonment would eventually give him the opportunity to proclaim Christ in Rome. And we've seen the Holy Spirit has led Paul to believe that his imprisonment would further his gospel ministry. And when we begin to see this journey to Rome as in fact like a fourth missionary journey of Paul, it brings a really different perspective. In this last section of Acts, when we read of Paul's imprisonment, we also realize there's a strategy going on. Which leads me to ask myself and ask you, how has, how is the Holy Spirit prompting you? How has God been revealing his plan and purpose for your life? Paul's encounter with God transformed him led him on a path of submission and obedience, sold out for Jesus yet, but more than that, listening and responding to the Spirit. So how are we doing that? How is the Holy Spirit prompting me? How is the Holy Spirit prompting you? What has God been revealing in your life? Watch your story of God. If we were sitting down over coffee and sharing life, and talking about how God has shown up, what would you say? What quiet ways has God stepped into your life? 
What loud ways has he stopped you in your tracks? How might you talk about it? I don't mean some nice, tidy, well-crafted speech. I mean, what incidents are important to you? What times have you been aware of his presence? Of him opening doors, closing doors, What is a gentle wave of God like in your life? And then just like Paul, what is my gospel strategy? What is your gospel strategy? There's always a danger with questions like these that we default to beating ourselves up to disqualify ourselves. But with the example of Paul, a man, a man who encountered God that changed him propelled him forward. So what's your testimony? Paul was an orator, skilled, able, debater, teacher, communicator. And as I was preparing for today and reading about Paul, I was struck by this line from one of the commentaries and it said, God did not waste any part of Paul, his background, his training, his citizenship, his mind, or even his weaknesses. God did not waste any part And I wonder, am I, are we willing to let God do the same for us? In fact, I wonder, might that be part of our testimony? Might that be part of our gospel strategy? So who are you? Are you an orator? Do you love understanding how things work? How people think? Do you love persuading others? Or what is your talent? Do you see emotions more than logic? Do you see colours and sounds more than words? Do you find yourself defending those on the margins almost instinctively? Are you a peacemaker? A community builder? Someone who makes people feel at home? Are you a strategist? A problem solver? Or maybe you're someone who has that gift to be able to live in the present, to simply be present. Are you a dreamer, a schemer? What's your background? Where are you from? What's your experience of life? Where did you grow up? What was the community around you like? Who are you and how might your background, your training, your citizenship, your mind, even your weaknesses actually help you to live the gospel today? God did not waste any part of Paul, his background, his training, his citizenship, his mind, even his weakness. I wonder am I, I wonder are you willing to let God do the same for you? In fact, I wonder, do we even think that might be part of our testimony, part of our gospel strategy? We have this vision statement in Central, joining with God and others in the transformation of the city as disciples who make disciples. If that's our vision, what's our strategy? And that's why I find myself in this part of the story of Paul, it raises lots of questions for me. What's my story with God? What's your story with God? How has the Holy Spirit been prompting you? 
What is your gospel strategy? These aren't just questions for Paul. These are questions for all of us as disciples. If I step step back a moment and think about us as a church, I think we've been on quite a journey this year. Um, When I look back to the start, to January, February, I think God very gently and graciously was doing a deep work on us across that series in Revelation. Then we had the in-house weekend, again, significant special time. The 25 hours of prayer. And then each week as we gather, we note the presence of God and we seek the power of the Holy Spirit. So in light of this example of Paul, wholly captivated by Jesus, transformed by the Spirit, in light of the big story of Acts that is the biography of the Holy Spirit, I ask gently but intentionally, what is your story of God? How are you open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? What is your strategy for the gospel? What has God been saying to you over recent months? How has he been prompting? What different kingdom perspective has he been gently ushering in? Acts is a powerful account of the move of the Spirit, changing people's lives, changing communities. What's your story? What's our story? As I look back over my life, I think as I have got older, I think I see things in more colour and more tones, not as black and white as my teenage faith. I hope I am more gracious with myself now and with others, but I am no less sold out for Jesus. I sometimes think my 17-year-old self is better. Maybe even my 23-year-old self is more focused. But I'm not sure that's fair or even accurate. We carry an awareness of the complexity of life, don't we? We see the flaws in Paul and it resonates with the flaws in our own life. But we also know the impact of Jesus is real. And we know also as we get older how much we need God's Spirit to work, to go ahead, to guide and lead, and more than that, to usher in change. Paul received a vision at the time of his arrest that gave him reason to think the imprisonment would eventually give him an opportunity to proclaim Christ. The Holy Spirit was leading Paul to believe that his imprisonment was to further the gospel ministry. And so today's passage reminds me, this is a man sold out for Jesus. Even in the worst of situations, there is an awareness of a bigger story going on that's about building the kingdom of God. A gospel strategy that's about bringing the good news of Jesus to new places. So I ask you today, who are you? What is your story of Jesus and how is he ushering your life to bring the good news of Jesus to new places? It would be easy right now to go into examples of what we could do, but I actually want us to sit with these questions because they're not easy to answer. What is your strategy for the gospel? Ross, what is your strategy for the gospel? Orla, what is your strategy for the gospel? Michael, what is your strategy for the gospel? I don't ask you this question to make you feel uncomfortable. I ask you this question to cheer you on. 
because the only person that can answer it is you. Dave, what is your strategy for the gospel? I don't ask you this question to make you uncomfortable because it's you, you and your glorious life, you and your training, your background, you and your opportunities. It's you. There's something about church that makes us also appreciate that it's us. But I am really aware of the uniqueness of each of us. The beautiful families we're part of. The beautiful workplaces that we get to rub shoulders in. And I don't mean that you go in on Monday and start talking Jesus to your colleague. I mean that you bring all the values of the kingdom to your workplace. That you are the best, fairest, trustworthy boss that there is around. That you are generous with all the resources that you have. That you are living this life of Jesus, fully aware of your flaws, but you are living it beautifully. So I ask you this question to spur you on. How we see the story of Paul as a story of two sides. One man's imprisonment and the other side of the story is the gospel right in the center of Rome exploding. This news of Jesus is too big, too fabulous, too transformative to keep to ourselves. It is too gentle. It is too gracious. It is too faithful. We need to find words and lives to give it justice. So are we people committed to the gospel? What is our testimony? If a friend asked you sincerely to talk about God, what would you say? What moments would you share? What key situations would come to mind? But more than words, does your life capture the gospel? The choices, how you treat those around you, how you spend money, how you give control of your life over to Jesus. Is your life a biography of the Holy Spirit? Uh, I am sorry that I am giving you questions and no answers, um, but I think they need to come from you. What is your strategy for the gospel? What is your testimony? Will you sit on this? Will you talk about it? Will you pray about it? Will you walk with God? And then will you be inspired like Paul to hold, hold unequivocally to the great news of Jesus?